All right, sports fans, we're ready. If you haven't gotten a cup of coffee, feel free to go out and grab a cup. You can come back. No problem whatsoever. We're going to go ahead and get started. Hi, Peter. How are you? Yeah, we're going to do that after. But thank you. God bless you. It's perfect for this morning. Hey, uh, I just want to forewarn you that kids are going to be popping some balloons in a little bit. Um, so especially the back row. Thank you, my dear. Uh, I didn't want uh, you in the back row to have a heart attack, so prepare yourself for some balloon popping. I don't know what the purpose is, probably just to pop a balloon. You don't really need a reason to pop a balloon, you just do it. Hey, so this is our last Sunday on the letter of Philippians. Uh, super exciting. Uh, we've been at it for about 16 weeks, going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, point by point. And, and literally, if you think about it, we've covered it. And, and Paul, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has, has spoken to the church, not only in Philippi, but he has spoken to the church uh, here at Rock Creek Church on what it is to be the church and what are the things that we should be focused on, what are the things we should be doing. It's not always easy, but it's good. And, and it kind of redefines good. It redefines happiness. It redefines uh, joy. So if you've missed any of those uh, sermons, you can go on our website at rockcreekchurch.org. You can also go on our app. Uh, all of them are on both of those places, and so you can uh, review those, download them, uh, take, take uh, those messages with you on a walk or whatever. But super important because it really provides kind of a strong foundation of the church uh, and our church and what really the focus is. So this is the end. It has brought us to... Um, Paul's last point that he wants to make sure is very, very clear, um, but it also is uh, his send-off, uh, his signature at the end of the letter, his um, saying goodbye. And so this brings us to verse 14, if you have your Bibles. also want to say if you have our app, uh, if you click on take a note right on the home screen of our app, it'll bring up a place for you to take personal notes that'll stay with your app, but it will also bring up a place for uh, you to do fill in the blank notes as well. Both of those sections are on there. There's also, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one, there's a Bible feature built into the app uh, as well. And so uh, several different ways that you can uh, use that. So let's go to verse 14 and listen to what Paul has to say to us as he concludes his letter. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. 
And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And at that, we have read the book, the letter of Philippians. Our text bookends our message last week, which we discussed contentment. The, the idea of being content in all things. In fact, Paul says, I've learned this secret, meaning it's not an easy thing to have a contented heart. Let's be clear, especially in today's times, it's hard to be full of contentment at all times. It just is. That's why Paul describes it as a secret. It's difficult to obtain and even to continue. And today's passage is also about contentment, but it's actually about money. Now, I don't plan these Sundays, uh, and truth be told, I'd rather not talk about money. It's not something that I enjoy speaking of. However, it is something that Jesus speaks often about. It is something that the Bible speaks very, very often about, both in the Old and the New Testament. And it is something that it just so happens as we finish our letter that Paul speaks about. And so we have to address this. And the reality is, if you think about it, Jesus spent 25% of his teaching talking about money. That would be equivalent to one out of every four Sundays, I give a giving talk. I talk about money. I talk about how the church needs money. So I want to say, if you're a guest or a visitor, or maybe it's your second time here or whatever, this is not normal. We do not talk about money very often, but it is unbelievably critical, not only to the church's ability to do the ministry it's called to do, but it's unbelievably important to the community of followers of Christ, and it's unbelievably important to our lives. And so therefore, we definitely do address it. The reason why the Bible talks about money is because our whole world, whether for good or evil, revolves around money. It just does. Your world, to some degree, to some extent, revolves around money, what you can and cannot do. Ecclesiastes has a verse. Here's what it says. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Is he right? It's in the Bible. Money is the answer for everything. Is he right? You're like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> wise. Man, there's a bunch of wise people in this room. He's right. In this world, he's right. In the world that we know, he's right. Who owns this world? Not a trick question. The enemy right now rules this world. The Bible makes that very, very clear. The enemy rules this world. Someday, Jesus is coming again. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will take over, and all will be made right. But until then, the enemy is the prince of this world. 
Jesus is the king of the universe. So is he right? Is the author of Ecclesiastes in that one particular verse right? To some degree, yes. That's our world's philosophy. Spend it, save it. Spend it, save it. Save it, spend it. Save it, save it, save it, save it. Spend all of it. That's that's way we live. We like to not think we live in that way in the church. We like to think that we're holier than the world. But the reality is, if you look at the statistics today, there is no difference in the church who are following Christ and those who don't even know God and are very far from him. That's what we do. And so there's a lot of verses on savings. There, there's a lot of verses that we can do in regards to uh, maybe a, a pastor trying to convince you that you should give, and I'm not doing that this morning. But the reality is where, where I want to kind of focus on it is a contentment that's found in a very, very specific word, and that always defined the followers of Christ from the very beginning to today, and that is generosity. Generosity defined the early followers of Christ because they would give nonstop. They would care for those nonstop. They were then defined as the Christians, the followers of Christ because of their generosity, because they would do things to those in the world that did not make sense to other people. They would, much like our church did last Sunday, gather in that lobby with Christmas music on and decorating the church. And last year, we put together 130 shoeboxes for kids who would otherwise not open a gift. We did that last year. And this year, we did nearly 265 Operation Christmas boxes. That doesn't make sense to the world. The generosity of the heart to go into a dollar store and just load up a shopping cart and arrive here with boxes and bags and to give and to give and to give. It doesn't make sense. And yet, even from the beginning of the early followers of Christ, it defined the individual, a generous heart. Why? Because what they were reacting to was the cross, what Jesus had given his life what God had given in his only begotten son. So the response was, if that's what you gave, which is everything, I'll give whatever I can. And that defined the early followers. You see, the problem is not, contrary to popular belief, that we spend too much or save or hoard too much. That's not the problem in the church. It's that our hearts at times are not generous. The focus becomes on self and not what God is doing in the world or in our midst. And all of us are subject to it. All of us struggle with it from time to time. And and this is actually fitting, really centered in between Thanksgiving and Christmas for, for God to align the stars for us to have this ending part of the letter talking about giving actually makes a whole lot of sense because we end with a holiday that's all about being thankful and then we begin a holiday that's all about giving and receiving both in the spiritual and the practical sense. Some will say 
that a tithe means 10%. Maybe you've, you've heard that before, like, oh, well, I was always taught in, in church, well, if you're going to give to the church, it's important that you give 10% because that's what the Bible teaches. Well, let's, let's debunk that. How many of you ever, you guys ever like Mythbusters? I love Mythbusters. <laughs> Easy for you to say. I really enjoy Mythbusters. In fact, they had an episode the other day that said the whole idea that there's an ingredient in turkey that makes you sleepy is a myth. Doesn't even exist. And I was like, oh my gosh, must be like the eight hours preparing the meal that makes me exhausted, okay? And listening to family members tell the same story over and over and over. They're like, oh my gosh, I want to go to sleep. Blame it on the turkey. What did the turkey ever do, okay? But nevertheless, I love debunking myths. We don't have time to really go into this. Maybe we'll do it at the next annual talk on money. But the Bible does teach on giving, the idea of a tithe going back to the Old Testament. But the reality is if you start to really dig into what the Old Testament says, it is the idea of tithe in the early writings of all the money that the followers of Jesus would then give to the church so that the message of Jesus, the message of God, the, the caring for the people, providing food and shelter and clothing for the people of God, even in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, if you were to combine all that, if you really want to go, I want to be biblically accurate on what a tithe is, it was actually around 25%. So if you want to be biblically accurate, I strongly encourage it. Go for it. But it's not a 10%. We will grab on to hold on to certain scriptures that talk about a 10%. But the reality is if you look at all of it, it was much, much more than that. The New Testament, if you go to 2 Corinthians, all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, it talks about giving, but it talks more about generosity. It doesn't give an amount. It doesn't give a, a rule. And this church, maybe you've gone to some churches that give you rules on giving or expectations on giving. You will not get that here. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says that giving should be done regularly, sacrificially, cheerfully, and proportionately. That's what the Bible teaches for every follower of Jesus Christ. The reality is without giving, without every follower of Christ doing these things, the church can't exist. We can't do shoeboxes. We can't uh, help Gary in his efforts and what God has deeply put on his heart in Africa. We can't throw a Christmas party for the foster care system. We can't run a youth group. We can't replace microphones. We can't keep the lights on. We can't do what God has called us to do without giving. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, this is what you ought to do if you're a follower of Christ. Regularly, sacrificially, cheerfully, and proportionately. That's the standard of giving in the New Testament. And when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, when he's, when he's describing these things, here's how it all ties in. As Paul says, you, church in Corinth, here's how you should give. The greatest cool thing for us today as we're finishing Philippians is he says, in actuality, if you want to know how to give, watch the church of Philippi. Watch how the Philippians give. That's what I'm describing here. 
When Paul writes to the church of Corinth, they were not in a good situation. They didn't have any money. They were unbelievably poor. They did not have food. They did not have shelter. They did not have government protection. They didn't have anybody else providing for them in any way, shape, or form. But they were so awestruck with the mission, with the call of God, with what he is doing in their community and all around the world, that he says, if you want to know how to give financially, look at this really small church and that giving is not just to pay the bills he talks about although that's always been a very real reality for church from here come the balloons i warn you because uh in today's times popping balloons can sound like something else and that's that's just a reality so um Unfortunately, I wish, I wish that weren't the case. But paying the bills has always been a reality for the church, even from the beginning. But also joining in God's work in the church. So what we want to do this morning briefly is say, what is giving? What is the idea of giving? Number one, giving is an act of worship. Verses 15 through 18 say this. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Not one church decided they would still help me. And Paul, if you read his letters, is not one to kind of throw his sad story on other people, but you sense a little bit there. You sense a little bit. Except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not only that, I am looking for a gift. Not, only, not, only, not that I am looking for a gift. Sorry, I should probably put my glasses on. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account, what I might be attributed to you and your heart, your commitment to Jesus. I'm more concerned with your account. I'm more concerned with your growth, your discipleship in your giving. That's what I'm more concerned with than me receiving. Hear the pastor's heart in Paul? He's more concerned with the people and their relationship with Jesus in their giving than he is in receiving. I did receive full payment even more. I'm happily and amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you had sent. And this is the kicker. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. When we give, it certainly takes care of the practicality. When we give, it allows us to do things as a Christ-following community that otherwise we cannot do but it also is an act of worship. And friends, the two cannot be separated. I've been involved in churches before where decisions that the leadership makes are not acceptable to some people in the church and therefore, unfortunately, sadly, and very unhealthily, there are people who then hold back their giving. And I need to say, and I, don't, I never see the finances. I've never seen the finances. I never will see the finances in regards to who gives and what gives and how much. I never will, never have. But I will say, if that's ever been you, 
I need to say in love and as a pastor to you, woe be to you. Because you can say, well, I don't necessarily agree with the practicality, but it is still an act of worship in your trust. We talked about this last week, trusting the sufficiency of God, trusting the sovereignty of God. So you go, well, I, I don't agree that we spent $200 on a mic. Trust me, this is not a $200 microphone. But I don't agree that, you know, I don't know, there's a much expensive up here, uh, that we stole this rug from the kids. Or I, I don't know what, what we might say that we don't like. But to say I'm going to then hold back robs you of an act of worship. Please don't do that. We would much rather have you come and to have a, a difficult conversation with the leaders of the church than to say, well, I'm going to take my money and not give it to the church because I'm not happy with that. Because all, although you might be right in saying it to us as humans, uh, it is not right in regards to your relationship with God in worship. Most will think of worship as songs that Alex and the team come up with and Maybe you like a song, maybe you don't like a song, or you think about communion and you go, well, man, it's just every time we do communion, it's a traffic jam, and, and, and we can kind of critique those things. We don't often tie our giving to worship. We don't often tie that to the, the response to the majesty of Jesus, and the Bible does tie it together. Please, on your own time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 and get in the regular habit of doing this. Some of you, and, and I have done this, so this isn't a, a poking at you. Some of you drove up this morning thinking, I wonder how good this morning's gonna be, or I wonder what I'm gonna get out of this, or I wonder what we're doing. I have done it, you have done it, we've all done it, so please don't think I'm above that. We've all done that before. Or I wonder what music's gonna be playing outside, or I wonder how dark it's gonna be. I, I wonder if I'm gonna enjoy this morning. We've all done that. What am I going to get out of this? And, and questions for the mature follower of Jesus is not what am I going to get out of it, but what am I going to pour into it? How am I going to serve? How am I going to give? How am I going to make someone else's experience even better? How am I going to make sure that I go up to the person that no one else is talking to and make sure that they get greeted? How am I going to make sure that I touch base with that one person and check on how their Thanksgiving was? How am I going to participate in worship so it builds the momentum and energy in this room and help Alex and the team do what they've been called to do? Not what am I going to get, but what am I going to give? That is an act and heartbeat of worship. Number two, worship ensures it's God. It reminds you that it's God who's providing for you, not you. You go, well, I work hard for my money. You guys know that song? I won't sing it. Um, <laughs> You go, well, I work hard for my money. It's, I, I provide that. Well, I, I just got to remind you. It's kind of my job uh, in my call to remind you. It is God who provides you finances. It's God who provides you with your job. It's God who provides you with the intellect to even have a job and to keep a job. It's God, it's God, it's God. Verse 19, giving ensures, oh, it says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to, to the riches of his, of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is what God does. I will meet all of your needs. I will take care of everything you have. This is what he does. Every need. This verse is, is, uh, is often uh, misapplied. In other words, thinking, well, if I give to God, he's going to take care of everything else. 
it's, it, maybe you've heard of this, it's a, a prosperity gospel. If I, if I give to the church, it, when these little baskets go around, handmade in Africa, that we remember our friends there in Africa, as these baskets go around, or as I pay through the app, or if I give a donation through the website, as I do these things, man, it's gonna hurt me so bad, but I know God's gonna pay me back tenfold. This isn't a savings account. This isn't a mutual fund, okay? God is not some like cosmic pinata and your giving is the stick. Do we understand that? What it does is it reminds us that it is God who provides for us. It is God who provides for us to provide for our family, for our kids. It's God. It's not us. And so when we give, that is a reminder. It would be different where you go, okay, I'm gonna give the church 100 bucks because I know I've got a job lined up this week that's gonna pay me 120, so I'm actually up 20 bucks. And I'm bringing up these examples because this is what happens in the church. This is what happens on a regular basis. But giving ensures to remind you that it's God who's providing for you. Number three, giving encourages community. Giving encourages community. Verse 21, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Let me ask you, how did they greet back then in the name of Christ and with the brothers in the church? A kiss. We're going to practice that this morning. We're not practicing that this morning. They kissed. Now think about it for a, le- for a moment, just our levels of intimacy as we say hello to people who walk through the door, as we greet one another in the name of Jesus, if you would. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, how, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm often in the parking lot. I'm kind of a spaz greeting you all. I'll, I'll hug you. If, if you don't want to hug, just give me the Heisman, and, and, and I won't take offense to it, but I just kind of like... I, I'm a little touchy-feeling, so I do this. I don't kiss anyone unless I'm kissed, and I kiss back appropriately, of course. But we, do, we have all different ways of greeting. So, Josh, would you come up here, please? Josh, come on up. Come on up. You're, you're ruining. I'm on a time clock. So we have all different uh, ways of greeting each other. This is uh, beautiful, Josh. And so... Josh and I are going to show you the different ways that we might be able to greet one another, all right? So if I walk into a room and Josh is there, there's first the man nod. (laughs) Did you see it? Maybe you were focused on me. Now focus on Josh or vice versa. Ready? I walk into a room and there's the nod, okay? (laughs) We have greeted one another and it's powerful. I know just in his chin lifting that he loves me. Okay, that he's happy to see me. We'll connect later. Several, several messages are conveyed just in that chin lifting. Okay, so that is one level of intimacy. Then there's the handshake. Josh, good to see you, man. I'm well. All right. Not as intimate as the knot. You would think because we touch skin that that's intimate. Nope, this. That's way more intimate than the handshake. Okay, but we do have the handshake. Then we have the cool guy handshake. See, he didn't even, we didn't even, we haven't practiced this. 
He just knows. It's like God-given DNA in his... What's up, Josh? How you doing, man? Good to see you, bro. All right? All right. No, no, we're... Yeah, see, you tried to rush it. You tried to rush it. He tried to rush that level of intimacy. No. No, 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 no. Then, golly, you totally ruined everything. All right. Now there's the cool guy hug. Ready? Josh, how you doing, buddy? All right. All right. All right. Warm embrace, kind of strong, some, some solid pats on the back, get that baritone, and, and that's the cool guy hug. And then finally... <laughs> all right. So now we're going to do all of them all in a row just to show our level of intimacy. All right. Got that? All right. Give them a round of applause. All right. So it's amazing. We have all these levels of intimacy. Now I want you to think about the levels of intimacy for the early church. They would greet each other with a kiss. I saved Josh in, in showing you how that might work. But we might do that second hour because that went really, really well. So I might recruit you for a second hour. Uh, again, second week in a row, I've grabbed somebody and not told them what we're doing and they trusted me. So we're, we're developing that level of trust. Think about the people who are embraced and hugged in the early church. And then I want you to think about the ones in your life who you embrace the most. Most of the time, the people who we embrace the most are the people who we have walked through very difficult times with. You notice, even though there was love and intimacy between me and Josh in that hug, we released pretty quickly once it got awkward. If Josh and I go through, and thank God we haven't yet, if Josh and I go through an event, let's say this, not to get morbid, but let's say this, Sandy and Grace are out grabbing a cup of coffee, they're hit, and they die. And Josh and I walk through that experience. I will hug Josh in a way that I will hug no one else because of the difficulty and the pain and the struggle that we've gone through. Think about the people in your life. If you've lost a, a parent or uh, a child and you've gone through that and you embrace, you haven't seen someone for a while, maybe it's been years and years and years and you go and you embrace them, you don't even have to say a word. You embrace because you know what the other person has gone through and you can relate to it. You see, what giving does is it draws intimacy. It draws community. Whether it's we've, went, we've been through war together. There are several of my police officer friends that we were on certain calls together that if I ever see them, we will embrace, and I know that both of us are remembering that call. It's a death. And when you sacrifice in your giving, there's a level of intimacy that goes, man, I'm in this, are you in this? We're both giving, we're both sacrificing, we're both seeing this church expand. And I have to say, there are several people in this church that had they not continued that level of intimacy, of giving, of support, of encouragement, of opening their wallets, this church would not exist. Because that's what has to happen in a church. But there's also a level of intimacy that cannot be articulated with words. 
And you know what's great about that? When you have that level of intimacy, and, and if you were here last Sunday evening for the packing of the shoeboxes, when there's a room full of sacrifice, when we're packing shoeboxes, when we're giving and giving and giving, you know what doesn't exist? Criticism. Backbiting. Gossip. Anger. Resentment. There wasn't an ounce of that in the room. Why? Because it can't exist. It cannot coexist. And that's why the churches who are unbelievably great at giving, there's something deeper that cannot be held on to that holds the body together. Finally, the last one, giving helps bear the weight of ministry. Verse 14, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles, in my pressure. We described that last week, that the, that the word troubles is pressure. It was good for you to share in my troubles. Friends, ministry is trouble. Did you know that? And there's a reason why ministry is trouble. Do you know why? Because there's people in the church. There's people in the church. If we didn't have people in the church, we, we wouldn't have trouble, but we do. We have, we have us. We have you. You have me. If you're going to help people, if we're going to care for each other, if we're going to open the doors and, and double or triple or quadruple or add one more person into this family, it will add more trouble. If you want a perfect example, marry off a child. Sarah's laughing. At you. I'm just saying, when your mother-in-law giggles from across the room, it may increase your prayer life. When, you, when, you, when, when, when there's more people, there's dysfunction. Are we all okay with that? There's messiness. There's struggle. Just in the last few weeks, I'll explain to you what myself and Alex and the elders, what we continue to help. And, and it's a blessing. I'm not saying this out of like, oh, poor us. I'm just saying sometimes we don't realize the magnitude of what goes on even in our small little church. There are a few marriages literally on the brink of divorce holding on by a thread. Kids that are struggling with substance abuse, anxiety, and depression. Parents that have passed away. Job losses, broken relationships, legal issues, significant legal issues, unplanned pregnancies, financial crises, suicidal thoughts, homelessness, therapy and psychiatric needs. This is just in the last couple of weeks. Sometimes we can walk in and, and go, oh, our church is so beautiful, and there's Christmas music, and it's decorated, and it's great, or, man, I don't really like where that tree is, and the, you know, da, da, da. we can start pointing things out, and the reality is, when we give, when we give financially, but also when we give of our time and our efforts and our, our cup of coffees and our lunches, it helps bear the weight of ministry, because I can't do it alone. Alex cannot do it even with me. Alex and I and the elders cannot do it. It's why we have to be caring for each other. We have to be giving to each other. And when you give, you're helping the people get and receive truth. And I'm going to speed this up here. I'm just going to end with this. It's, it's a quote. I, again, I, I wish I didn't have to talk on giving. I would much rather talk about the baby Jesus in the 
trough or something that's super, super happy. But there's a reason why pastors have to talk about money and giving in the church, and it's because recent track record over at least the last 50 years has seen an unspeakable decline in giving throughout the church. And it wasn't always this way. There was an author that lived about 20, 30 years-ish after the Apostle John, and his name was Diognatius. And I want you to listen how he describes the church's impact on culture at the end of the first century, beginning the second century. Here's what he says. We, the Christians, we share our table with everyone, but we do not share our bed with everyone. The pagans are stingy with their money and promiscuous with their bodies. Followers of Jesus are stingy with their bodies, but promiscuous with their money. This isn't like an author in the 18th century or this week wrote this. This is someone about 20, 30 years after the Apostle John. Many people still knew who Jesus was, and yet he writes this. And he, he grabs uh, an example of, of, of being free with our bodies, and yet very, very stingy with our money, and he flips it. And the question is, what if, what if we worried more about what God is doing in the kingdom of God than our own personal needs, our own personal comfort? What might that look like? What if our focus wasn't on tomorrow's retirement, but today's kingdom of God? What if our focus wasn't on finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, but what God is doing in our midst? What if as a church, we were more focused on the hundreds of ideas we have to expand the kingdom of God in Boulder County rather than, hey, how are we gonna pay this bill? What might that look like? And so this is a call for the church. It's a call for the follower of Jesus. If you're giving and, and you call this place your church home, I just wanna say thank you. Again, I don't know. You do, you and God know. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for faithfully giving on a regular basis. If this is your church home and you have not entered into that relationship with Christ, your, your commitment and relationship with the church, maybe you've never even been taught this. This is completely foreign to you. Like, I didn't even know we should or, or needed to or, or had to give. Uh, I just want to invite you into that relationship, into that process. My hope and prayer all week, because I've been nervous about it, is that you would not judge Christ. You can judge me on maybe how I delivered this, or you can judge our church, but please don't judge God in that. Certainly, he's more after your heart than he is your money, but often the two are tied together. And so I just want to encourage you as we get ready to finish this fiscal year going into December, and as we get ready to launch into our 2018, just to pray about it. Pray about what God has put on your heart. We have some great ambitions, but it, but it does take effort for the whole body to do so. 
And so we're gonna we're gonna pass these these beautiful offering uh, hand woven baskets uh, from Africa. Uh, some of you uh, donate in that way, and that's great. Others of you use our church app, which is we really want to encourage you. If if you're a regular part of this church, please shift your finances to giving through that. It will drastically drastically help us. If you don't like doing your phone, you can just jump on our website. Same thing. Uh, it helps us in the same exact way. Um, but I just want you to know as we go into worship, um, man, I'm more concerned with you and your relationship with Christ than what dollar gets put in here. I truly am, know that. Um, but I also know in reading the scriptures that they're tied together. So let's pray together and, uh, and let's worship the King. So Jesus, as we prepare to give and as we prepare to worship, uh, would you come and, and do things in our lives that we didn't think were possible? Would you expand our faith would you expand our trust? Would you expand the dollars that are put in here? Would you multiply them like the bread and the fish that the message in the name of Jesus be proclaimed and, and thrown all around the world and here throughout Boulder County that you would be lifted high and that you would use this sweet little church to do the unthinkable uh, with the money that people do give. And so we love you. Uh, thank you for this. We're excited for Christmas. Uh, season to begin next Sunday, and but today we say thank you in Jesus' name.